0: Hello, my name is Olivia Hoff, and my name is Rachel Lean. and we will be your hosts for this episode of Extending the Links, under podcast. This episode will serve as a call to action and culminate our podcast series promoting decolonization here at CSBSJU and in the broader community.
1: Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that both the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University occupy the original homeland of the Dakota and Anishinaabe peoples. We honor, respect, and acknowledge the indigenous peoples forcibly removed from this territory, whose connection remains today. St. Benedict's Monastery and St.
0: John's Abbey previously operated boarding schools for Native children. Now, students, faculty, and staff are working to repair relationships with our Native Nation neighbors.
1: We, ETL, are a storytelling organization, but we ourselves are not the storytellers. We seek to be a platform for storytelling that amplifies the calls of community members. Through this podcast, we aim to promote and uplift
0: the voices of faculty, staff, students, communities, and organizations who are actively working for healing and decolonization.
1: We had the opportunity to speak with three individuals who have all had direct experience with the decolonization efforts happening on the College of Saint Benedict and Saint John's University campuses and the surrounding community. Their names are Daniel Bachmeyer, Maya Eikoff, and Jamie Arsenault.
0: First, Daniel Bachmeyer is a current senior at Saint John's University. He spoke to us about his CSB Sju Summer Twenty Twenty Research Position and collaboration with the Tribal Historic Preservation Office at White Earth Nation.
2: My name is Daniel Bachmeyer. Currently, I am a senior sociology student at St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota, and my pronouns are he, him, his. I was able to work with Ted Gordon, who's an anthropologist here at the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University over the past summer. My title was the ASIN, or to return intern. So the goal of my internship was to help return some of the things that we had as institutions to white earth so my goal this summer was to find every single mention of the search terms industrial schools and white earth once i discovered every single one of those what i did is i finished organizing them in a giant spreadsheet database.
1: Next, we had the chance to speak with Maya Eikoff, a senior at the College of St. Benedict, about her on-campus organization, Ajen.
3: So I'm sitting in class one day in Ted's class and thinking, oh my God, it, Like, what a massive issue of the inequities between um, Native communities and the rest of society in the U.S. And... It was kind of like a light bulb moment of, I have e-scholars, why not um, funnel it towards um, this sort of work? So that was the um, beginning of what is now a gen, which is, um, it means to return in Ojibwe. And it's an on-campus organization that is also an independent nonprofit. Um, which works to return resources from the CSVSJU community back to White Earth. So White Earth is one of the um, Native nations that were disproportionately impacted by the Native boarding schools <clears throat> that our schools operated. It's, it's time that our school put its money where its mouth is, got behind the like fully dedicating itself towards actions to make up for the atrocities of our past. And so Gen is one of those um, opportunities where students can get involved in really being at the forefront of both returning financial resources through fundraising and donations and also like returning resources in the form of time, um, like volunteering back to the White Earth community.
0: Our third guest is Jamie Arsenault who is the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer, Archives Manager, and Repatriation Representative at White Earth Nation in White Earth, Minnesota.
4: Hi, um, my name is Jamie Arsenault, and I'm the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer here at White Earth. I'm also the Archives Manager and the Repatriation um, Representative. I've been assisting here at White Earth since maybe 2015 or so, um, but I've been doing this line of work for Over 20 years. I essentially I um, look at different ways of protecting cultural resources of the community and each community will define what cultural resources are to them differently and so you know frequently that will be um, you know maybe landscapes maybe their sacred places Um, you know the idea of protecting cultural landscapes and sacred places that was part of the Dakota Access Pipeline Battle, for example. And um, TIPOs are really essential in that work and trying to locate those places and protect them. Um, But that could also mean uh, linguistic resources. It could mean repatriation of of, um, songs or sacred items. Um, It's basically looking at what is it that's important to the community and, and really prioritizing that either in what you protect and what you plan for or around. So um, potentially looking at um, like wild rice locations, for example, making sure that water is healthy and people can access that space.
1: Next, Dan, Maya and Jamie provided us with explanations of what decolonization means to each of them and also explain their current projects in the field.
2: I was also able to learn a little bit more about decolonization and what that was uh, conceptually in the classroom in Megan Sheehan's class, which she is another anthropologist here at the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University. But um, one thing I just want to emphasize from from that class that I learned about decolonization is that it's not necessarily a destination, it's an ongoing process, and I more than anyone else, I want to say that my work decolonizing is absolutely incomplete and sometimes lackluster um, because I would say my main contributions to decolonization have been in research and then also in rhetoric because I was able to be a part of a decolonization panel that was held um, over Zoom virtually at the College of St. Benedictine St. John's University, but research and rhetoric alone aren't necessarily enough. Uh, We need people who are doing the work, and that work takes a lot more time and a lot more involvement and effort than frankly than I've been putting forward. Also with with decolonization, one thing I want to emphasize is that it's a process, right? It's not an end goal. So it's not like we're going to be decolonized anytime soon, right? holistically. rather, this is an ongoing and continuing intention and then also something that we can actively work towards in small increments to bring us closer to this ideal.
3: it's it's really important when like talking or thinking about decolonization to recognize how colonized the society that we live in is and that first step is like recognition of noticing how very westernized um, this culture currently is and how that's not where it started from um, that was brought by settlers to this land and so recognition is the first step then enacting that recognition can come in a variety of different ways it's incredibly prevalent in the way that we talk. With how, like the power of language, the importance of avoiding tropes and the importance of avoiding tokenization and the importance of beyond all of that, recognizing the resilience of native communities in the fact that there were so many issues that happened and horrendous acts that the United States did but then Native communities are still here.
2: Something something else I want to say about decolonization is that language matters. Okay, I also want to share an excerpt that I shared in um, my decolonization and action segment. And this was from an article written by Father Doug Mullen in a 2007 issue of the Abbey Banner. And the excerpt goes as follows. It says, quote, The federal Indian policy sought to assimilate Indian children into the dominant Euro-American culture and society by educating and socializing them away from their families and traditional culture. The policy was a failure from the start and fortunately short-lived. It is now recognized that the plan would have amounted to cultural genocide. While there were undoubtedly many good intentions and even positive results for the children who attended these schools, if these schools had been successful in their primary purpose, the loss of native cultures and identities would have been a great evil. And I just want to highlight that because out of the 661 pages of text I compiled, this was the only instance that the evil inherent to the operation of the industrial schools was explicitly acknowledged and actively condemned. And to say cultural genocide those words, that is important, because that is powerful language.
4: Um, there's a lot of talk about historical trauma, but there's also this historical resilience that communities have always had. And, um, and so we're really trying to tap into that. We want to do this in a respectful way um, and you know, create a situation where everyone benefits and, and there's something to be gained from that. Um, so slow going, <laughs> I, you know. I think that's you know one thing to know is that this will be going on for a while, um, but you know, in a calculated way, in a respectful way for everyone. Um, and so that's that's I guess the big big piece of it.
2: One significant finding from the summer came from a 1988 issue of the Abbey Quarterly and also a 2005 issue of Community. These are both monastic public. Publications published by the Monastery uh, at St. John's. Um, These publications mention that there were artifacts obtained from the White Earth and Red Lake Nations that are still currently held by St. John's Abbey that were once part of their museum exhibit. And these artifacts include drums, moccasins, jingle dresses, peace pipes, bandoliers, baskets, toys, beadwork, and birch bark containers, as well as food preparation and storage items. So these artifacts (coughs) were used at specimens at various points in time in various museum exhibits put together by uh, the Abbey. So when we were at the decolonization event, I said, you know, I have a platform. If I'm going to highlight one thing that is very, very important from my research this summer, and that isn't as widely known, I I called for their return. So like I said, this is kind of on the rhetoric side of decolonization, which is still, I think a very important role is kind of spreading that information and putting that out there, but it's not the entire process as I emphasized before.
3: So anything that we can do um, as a college community not only returns resources back to White Earth directly, but it also takes a load off a really important um, tribal government office that is in charge of preserving culturally important resources and the like community cultural well-being. So a couple of examples of projects that we've either worked on or are working on is last semester we did a good a good-sized annotated bibliography Um, that focused on wild rice. That's a part of what's called a traditional cultural property or a TCP. So what a TCP does is it protects um, culturally significant areas um, in ways that the community that it's culturally important to sees fit. So it goes through the federal government and gets approved there and then comes back down and is then protected on the ground. So The TCP designation is very broad. It can range from anything like a historically important building to something like wild rice, which is a natural resource and what we were working to do.
4: Um, You know, as we move forward, we're gonna just, we're gonna really work on this archival documents and and bringing those back. You know, I I hope that we can get to a place where community can have those conversations. Um, You know, there are, items that are still down at the institution there. Um, and I, I do hope at some point to, to figure out what exactly is still down there and and try to um, potentially bring those back as well. Uh, there's a lot of years of work ahead and um, I've been very grateful for the, the sisters and the faculty and the students that have helped in this um, without that level of support this wouldn't be happening right now so i i'm very grateful and i'm very i'm very happy with the way that this is is going um so i i just i encourage people that are interested and wanting to learn more or to contribute in some way you know that they could reach out you know to you to professor gordon you know however
0: it is that um is best Due to the problematic history of St. Ben's and St. John's in relation to Indigenous peoples, it poses an important question. What can the SJU community do to assist in
2: decolonization efforts? First of all, I'm the wrong person to ask. Right? Because I'm not the one who's experiencing those things. That's fair. So with that, I want to say that we need to continue to... Toe the thin line between invitation, incorporation, and fairness, right? With when we regard our expectations of indigenous students on our campus, but also BIPOC students, right? Because invitation, incorporation, fairness, assimilation, acculturation, these are all very, very close, very, very similar things. And I think in many ways it's about consent, right? And I think when do we desire to be invited to the table? And when do we desire to be incorporated into the whole? When do we um, desire or consent to not being the one to teach others? And when do we consent to being the ones... To teach others, right? When should we help others make a, a place for themselves rather than trying to incorporate them into the whole more, right? And I think that these are questions that every club on campus is dealing with. I think every, hopefully every group on campus is dealing with across from students to administrators, etc. But no one has the best answer to because I think it depends on the moment and I think it depends on others. Yeah. I mean, as far as that too, I mean, we could definitely offer scholarships to indigenous students. We could become less financially elite as an institution, right? Because that would make us less homogenous in many ways. But I don't think that's a conversation that our administration is willing to have yet. And I especially don't think that is a conversation that our students are acknowledging they're a part of, is um, being financially elite and the reproduction of class and privilege. Because I think a lot of students don't even see it unless they're on the less advantaged side of that. Um, Lastly, as far as welcoming goes, I would say welcoming for who? And I think it's of the utmost necessary that we need to employ the tolerance paradox, which is that we can't tolerate intolerance. Um, And I don't know if that is something that is impacting Indigenous students because I haven't heard from their perspective. But in general, I think that would make CSPSU more welcoming.
3: I think the first step is just talking about it. It's bringing it up. It's constantly... um, I think in every single center mentor meeting I've had through people with um, the McNeely Center, I've brought up the industrial boarding schools. I've brought up like shared this information that so many of like all of these people are graduates of our school, but there's also a lot of power in educating yourself through um, indigenous scholars, taking classes that are offered here on campus um, that I think are frequently not given the attention and weight that they deserve. Um, I think the like changes in course are like, the changes in our courses are important, but there are still also so many um, classes that are incredible that I think everyone should take. Um, and a lot of like books and um, authors, especially from this area, like Winona LaDuke, um, Melissa K. Nelson is an Anishinaabe scholar who like the Anishinaabe are built, based or like connected to this land. So like learning about the people who come, learning about the native people who are connected to this area, I think is very important, especially when moving forward with decolonization efforts, really listening to the people who this work is meant to serve and serve on their own terms is incredibly important. Um, knowing what their thought processes and beliefs are. What I try to do
4: is build up this um, archive. So the tribe tribe, tribal members have um, a space where they can eventually go and access information about their communities, their families. Um, And St. John's and St. Ben's happens to hold a lot of those documents because of uh, the history of residential schools. Uh, there and at White Earth. So our um, paths are very linked, and um, haven't always been uh, positive. But what we are looking at now is this digital repatriation of archives, and have it not just be um, an exchange of of paper or digital files, but you know, a real discussion about what took place and, and, and this transformation that could happen for both communities. um, If their space is provided where uh, these types of conversations can take place or at least this documentation can come home again so when community members are ready, and do wish to see materials they can. Uh, So that's um, a very slow process it's very, very careful. Um, And we want to make sure that people feel respected that they are, are cared for, that nobody feels rushed um, in this process. So um, we've been slowly over a number of years building a relationship and um, getting to this space where we are ready to do this kind of work. I've been trying to manage a lot of, of this work on my end, um, but students there have been very, very helpful in locating images, helping me with certain documentation to protect wild rice, um, you know, doing an annotated bibliography, students have been wonderful. I think in the process, it's been good for them as well because you get to learn about ethics, you get to learn about consultation with a, a community. And that's something that a lot of, um, you know, folks out in the field, they don't necessarily know how to do that. You know, uh, they, will necess- they will avoid um, working with tribal communities. Um, unless they have to. And what I'm trying to do is create uh, conditions where students are able to work with us in a really good way and just get that experience and be able to take that and run with it. And um, I think that there's more that we can accomplish together than if we just stay so uh, fragmented. Um, and so that's you know one big, uh, you know, that's one big thing I'm, I'm thankful for. It's just the students and the way that they were able to to work on this. So, uh, you know, this is going to go on for a long time, I'm sure, and um, there'll be there'll be other students that'll probably want to assist in some kind of way, and I, I welcome that.